Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all things money, 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 money that makes the world go round, but money that can also keep us very stuck. So with me today, I have Connie Vanderzanden, who is an advocate for women succeeding financially in business, basically creating sustainable businesses so that they can support their families. So welcome, Connie. So happy to have you here. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I just, I love the snarkiness of your podcast name. And so I think, well, and I think, you know, it was hard to get to that point of being an old chick and like realizing this is where we're just so much more comfortable being ourselves Mm. and can really do big things. And it took a while to get there, but now we're here. We can change the world. (laughs) Yeah. I love that you just said that because you know, in a world that wants us to be less confident (laughs) and less who we are. And it's almost an act of rebellion for us to be stepping into our confidence and creating big things at this point of our lives, which is like my mission is to encourage women to do that as much as possible. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about kind of your journey to get to this place where, you know, you've kind of navigated (laughs) the world of finances. I know you own your own business now. Like what was your kind of experience of stepping into that confidence and creating something that you're super happy with right now? Yeah. Well, I have to say that finding myself in the financial industry was not the first option. We went through a stage where I was married and I chose to do bookkeeping and accounting. That's what my mom did. Mm -hmm. Numbers were super easy to me. And we were going to have kids eventually. My partner and I were going to have kids and we had some infertility sneak in there and change that plan for us. And I just kept continuing with it because it was easy and it was, Mm. but it was not joyful at all. It was Mm. not. And I bounced around a lot and got into public accounting, which here in the States is a tax pro CPA office that does taxes. And I got to focus on that. So that was starting to get really interesting. Now I could see both sides of how the numbers affect the day-to-day operations of a business and now what the tax implications were. And so now I got this bigger idea and I got to actually go out and meet business owners and they would feed me because I used to work a lot with restaurants. That was great. But you could see the pain and the agony they had around numbers, how much cash flow and those issues were just heavy on their shoulders. And I could go in and help relieve some of that stress. And I loved that part of it. And so when I had an opportunity to maybe start my business. Now it took me three years to make that choice and actually <laughs> make that jump. Right. That was the key thing is like making a big difference in small businesses and helping them make that numbers easier for them. Of course, I wasn't there yet. I can look back now and see that that was the purpose, but I was truly a bookkeeper trading dollars for hours, very much an employee mindset. So it took a lot of growing. But uh, when I started my business in 2001 to 2016, it's when I started to decide I could grow and have team members and commercial space. And that's where my money journey really started to take off because I ignored everything about money. Like normal business owners do when they first start up, (laughs) they 
because there's so much in hustle mode, they ignore the numbers. I did the same exact thing. I threw money and debt at a problem that I thought needed to be solved that didn't. And six years into that, I realized uh, for, I guess it was five years into that, that would be to 2021. Let's say I can't even do math. <laughs> a numbers person who can't do math. I love it. <laughs> but a few years into it, I was at this rock bottom moment where I was having problems making rent and payroll and hadn't paid myself for about five years and all this 50,000 in debt that was creating so much heaviness that I couldn't even breathe. And so I had to re-figure out how to do that. I had to re-figure out what my relationship with money was, how to heal that. And that helped transform the business because then I also realized a couple of years ago after I turned 50 is that I didn't like numbers. I didn't really like being in the numbers. Mm. I liked that numbers showed me a picture. So the business pivoted again. And I went back to what I originally liked to do, which was that one-on-one conversation with business owners about how numbers support their business, how they can use that. And again, bringing my own story of money and how I had to heal that relationship, bring that to the forefront because we don't talk about it in business, but that's what stops us. That's what how we get into debt. That's how we don't have enough cash flow to pay ourselves is that we're not paying attention and having a loving relationship with money so that we can use it more wisely and more sustainable for our business and for our family. Yeah. And you touch on a really important point here about your relationship with money. And not many people actually think about money as a relationship, right? And we're walking around, you know, with these money habits or this mindset or these beliefs around money that we've, you know, some conscious, some completely unconscious that we picked up from our friends or from our parents or like, you know, whatever it is. And we're not even aware of these things that are actually impacting. So whether we're in business or not in business that are impacting like how much money we have, where that money goes, you know, whether that money is working for us or not. How would you have characterized your relationship with money prior to this shift? Yeah. Well, I hadn't realized it. A, I prioritized what my partner wanted around money. That was the first one. Mm. And for some reason, I gave him the parental authority of how I was handling money in my business, which he had not asked for. He didn't realize he had authority over my business. But in my brain, and what I learned from my parents and from my grandparents was that the man of the house controlled the money, controlled the decisions around the money, was the breadwinner, that type of thing. And And so then I also found that I was limiting how much money I would bring into the household because, you know, I couldn't, couldn't make more than him, but I could add money to it, but I never seemed to have enough. And I always made sure he had what he wanted. And I would often get the extras. I would find that even you could see what you served dinner too. He got fed first and then I would get what was left. And it was a weird it was all subconscious for a mm-hmm. long time until I started to shine a light on it. And then it was like, wow, hey, where did this come from? <laughs> and this is not going to be long-term. I can't do this. I can't just rely on him to make this money or make these decisions. I need to be a, an essential part of it. And he also didn't want to right. be in the day-to-day operations of the money. He just right. wanted somebody else to take care of it. And so I find that a lot of the time that also happens in business where people hire bookkeepers and they want them to do all of it for themselves. And so how we do money at home is usually how we do money in our business. And so we need to figure out what type of relationship we want money to have in our lives 
and so that we can heal both sides. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? And I have found myself guilty of this. Um, I definitely, like when I was married, um, kind of found myself in that position. But isn't it interesting how we as women are like putting ourselves and our money like last on the list? Yep. Like here we are, these modern business women, you know, kick ass, smart. And yet there's still like this little piece of us that is like, you know, handing the reins over, like you said, you know, even your partner didn't even ask for it. Right. But we do it anyway. Right. And there's so many things that we do it. And like, even with my partner now, like a couple of times I kind of found myself in that position where I'm like, you know, deferring to him. And then I go, wait a minute, yeah, <laughs> let yeah. me pull that back a bit. But it, it's con- like unconsciously ingrained, it is. right? Like you have it to is. be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we weren't allowed to have our own debt for a long time. We couldn't sign a loan paper by ourselves as a woman without a family member that was at least 18 years of age, a male family member co-signing for us at some point. And I can't tell you the exact date of when that changed, but it definitely was when my, you know, when my parents were around. And so we, that's where we learned it from. So my grandmother never had the opportunity to have her own debt. She was reliant on whatever her husband brought in or, or, or what that was. Now, it was also common in my family lineage not to talk about money, that it was not polite in mixed mm. convers- company to talk about. Right. And you never really saw that conversation. Or if you did, it was really stressed out conversation. Having a, my mom was single for a while with two kids. And so a lot of the times, you know, money didn't grow on trees and it, it was interesting. I look back at the food we ate when we were kids and I, it was interesting at that time what she had to do to make ends meet and make sure that, you know, we had clothes on our back and food in our tummies and, and a roof over our heads. But it's something, again, we didn't talk a lot about it. We were shamed to not discuss it. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting. And then to determine what's your actual money type, like, are you a saver or a spender? I think that was the second space where I, my eyes really opened up because as a spender, Spending money makes me happy and I love to do that for other people, but not on myself. I think it's interesting Mm. figuring out the shame around that too. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, there is so much to unpack around money Mm -hmm. and yeah. And these like little beliefs. So if somebody is like, they're listening to us having this conversation and they're like, oh yeah, that's me or whatever. Like, how do you help people or how do you have the conversation, I guess, with people around shifting those old beliefs or becoming, at least becoming aware of those old beliefs around money that might be holding them back in their business or otherwise? Yeah. It's sometimes it's helpful to have another person reflect back. So if you can have a conversation, of course, if this is really new to you of talking about money in general, that might feel uncomfortable to do. And so a coach is a good first step. There are money coaches out there. There are life coaches out there that start having, they can listen because it's remarkable what comes out of our mouths that we don't even realize. One of my things I kept saying, the business just needs to make enough to pay the bills. And that's exactly what would happen. I would have just enough to pay the bills. That was subconsciously what I was saying and I was actually creating it. So sometimes, but somebody had to reflect that back to me before I realized it. Another thing is to start journaling about Mm -hmm. things. So this podcast is triggering something in you. You're becoming a little bit more aware. That's the first step. But we have to have this moment of like, 
line in the sand. This is enough. I don't want to create this any longer. And so we have to uncover what that is and then start figuring out, well, where did that come from? Did that come from my parents, my grandparents? Is it from society in general? And then kind of not putting blame. It's just awareness of like being, okay, you're going to shine a light. It's going to give you some idea of where it came from. And you can look at that and go, that was true for them. That like, that was true for my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Is it true for me now? Yes or no. And then what can I do about that? If it's a no, what can I do? What's the first thing I can do? And and just getting some general education would be like the third step, listening to a Mm. podcast on money, reading a book, a lot of financial advisors will just have conversation about it, gradually increasing it. You don't have to go out tomorrow and get the Wall Street Journal and (laughs) open it up and read it. That's even too much for me, but you could like listen to a podcast on what money is and find one that's right for you because not everybody's going to be like a Dave Ramsey fan or like that masculine energy that comes from sometimes that, that patriarch, we have a lot of patriarchal (laughs) white males in the financial industry. So you might have to look a little bit, but you can find somebody that talks a language that makes sense to you. Yeah. And I'm starting to see a lot of women educating women about money, which I think is so powerful because, you know, like we were just talking about, like a lot of women just abdicated that responsibility to their husbands and trusted that some, you know, everything was going to be okay. And then either through illness, divorce or death or whatever it is, they all of a sudden now become in charge of the money Mm -hmm. and are like starting from square one. And I read a stat a little while ago about the number of women over 50 some really high number, like something like 30% of all women over 50 were living below the poverty line because of that very reason, because they didn't understand money, because they had, you know, abdicated the responsibility to their partner and just didn't pay attention. Yeah. And this works both ways too. I've seen it the opposite way too, but I can remember my grandma not really knowing after my grandpa died is like, where were all the main things? Where was the life insurance? And, you know, to find yourself at that point and like, figuring this is how I have to budget now. That's a little late in the game. Like, okay, social security has to take care of this. And Mm -hmm. we all know that social security is not going to be enough regular income to maintain a a lifestyle for anybody. It's not going to be there. There has to be something a little bit more to give us a little bit of support. Yeah. I mean, I once had a coach ask me a question. It was something along the lines of if your relationship with money was if you were describing it as a relationship with another person, what would that relationship be like? Yeah. And it was really eye-opening to me because I realized that I treat my money like a booty call. It's like <laughs> there when I need it. And then I don't think about it again. Right. Yeah. And that for me was really eye-opening. It's like, oh, here you are. Okay, great. I'm going to use you. <laughs> and then when you're done, you're done. I'm not going to even think about you again till the next time I need you. And that was a really eye-opening process for me to realize that, oh, I have to like, you know, if I want my money to work for me, I have to, and I want, if I want a healthy relationship, like I have to put more into it, right? I have to put some effort and energy into it. Yeah. And if your listeners went to, but money is evil or money is the sign of greed or something, it's who we are as an individual, how we show up with money. It's not that money itself is Mm -hmm. bad. It's what the individual does with money, how it approaches And so if those, again, if that came up for you, as we were talking about that, that's a subconscious belief. Mm -hmm. That's something to journal about to to see where did that come from? And again, ask yourself, is is it a true statement for you today? Or was it something you learned when you were a kid? Uh, What did you do to change your relationship with money? Once you realized it was a booty call, (laughs) (laughs) 
What's one, of the, what's one thing you did to help change that? I actually created money dates. So I would sit down and just, if nothing else, it would just be to like, and to create it in a really nice environment. Like, you know, like sometimes I would go to a coffee shop or whatever, but create a nice environment where I would sit down and at least like get to know it. Okay. How much money do I have here? How much money do I have there? What did I spend? Like, and actually I've kind of fallen off that I need to get back to that, but really just like I would on a date with somebody, right? Like just kind of get to know like what's happening. And to me, it it started to make me aware of other patterns and beliefs that were there, Mm -hmm. right? So when I started then focusing on spending, for example, I would be in a store and, you know, I'd be buying something and then there would be this little voice in the back of my head that would be like, oh, should you be spending that? Isn't that a little bit too much? You could do without, right? Like this little thing. And I'd be like, oh, never noticed that before. But all of a sudden it just started creating awareness of these other beliefs. And like for me growing up, money in my family was always a very stressful topic. It caused a lot of arguments with my parents. And so I kind of learned to block it out, to not pay attention to it. And the the conversations were always around like not having enough. And so I was like, oh, I recognize that voice, Mm -hmm. right? It's not really mine. (laughs) (laughs) And so now it, it still comes up every once in a while, but I can say, oh, I hear you. It's not me. And then I can let go of it. Right. But it does take a little bit of effort, like time and effort to create that relationship with money. That's a positive one. Yeah. Like any good habit or ritual for yourself, it's going to take some time. So putting it on the calendar, making it a regular thing. Like for me, I still do weekly money dates Hmm. Uh, that works better for me when I pay attention to money on a weekly basis, it feels taken care of. And so it doesn't go crazy before, like I would hurry up and do money and then I would travel and then all of my credit cards would be at limit or something would happen. And it was signs that money was unhappy with our current, (laughs) our current status. But I also had to work on having a money date with my partner and having that communication. So the first time I did it, of course, you know, remember I had given him the parental control over my Mm -hmm. business. I had to write myself a script and, you know, work my way into the communication. And I would, I remember being so nervous sitting down to talk to my husband about numbers and it was all me. It was all a subconscious Mm. belief I had inside that was not him making any demands or Mm -hmm. requests or anything. It went, but again, when somebody questions our numbers or questions, how we want to do things, it does trigger us a little bit. And so then Mm. we have that communication where we're empowered about Maybe we did spend a little bit too much on groceries. Now we're aware. Now we can make a different choice type of Mm -hmm. thing, but um, not being like, we're going to the principal's office and and we're going to be on detention for two weeks or something, but it was a big change. Now it's much easier to have a conversation. I understand how he processes the numbers and what he needs to be in the know and Mm -hmm. what I need. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's really important too, because just even understanding each other's expectations around money and each other's behaviors around money so that, you know, you can be aware of, okay, you're the saver, I'm the spender, and we're not judging each other. We're just aware of that. This is what it is. And we now have our boundaries and our guidelines to make sure that we're not, you know, (laughs) infringing on the other person, but it's a super important communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if maybe I Again, it was probably an assumption, but we never had that conversation about how my husband was very against debt because mm. we grew up where debt was everything. You would get a, a mortgage, you would get car loans, you would have a credit card. 
And I had a codependency relationship with my credit card. I, one of my coaches suggested I freeze it. And I felt like they wanted me to cut off my right arm because (laughs) I was like, she's like, it's still there. I'm like, you don't understand. I was having heart palpitations. And I did, did not, again, wasn't aware of it until somebody pushed me to make a different Mm. choice. And he was the complete opposite. He hates debt and it needs to not be there at all. And to find that happy medium, but we never talked about it. And here we've been married 35 years now. And we only started having these conversations about 10 years ago all around mm. it. So if you have a partner in your life, don't assume. And if you are going to bring a new partner in, start having these conversations earlier in the relationship than letting 25 years go by. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like you said, it can be a difficult conversation to have, especially if you, you know, have wounds or triggers around money. Mm-hmm. It can feel like walking into, you know, yes. into the storm or into a battle. Yeah. So money and energy. Money is energy. It is. Right. And you know, when I actually started to think about money that way, just like energy that you put into anything, right? It can impact the outcome of it. And whether you're thinking about it abundantly or whether you're thinking about it with scarcity, how do you help people kind of recognize, I guess, that pattern around, like, especially when they're in business or whatever, how do you help them uncover those patterns around, you know, scarcity or abundance or, you know, the whole energy of money? Yeah. Well, it's, again, it'll be some of the time is the words we use. We can't afford that. That's expensive. Mm. Those are key signs that we're in some type of lack mode. Yeah. And we tend to get, if we have team members, we will tend to get a lot of team members that are lack focused, depending on where they are in the world. And so to be careful too, of who we surround ourselves with. But when I'm talking about That's why I normally do a financial plan in three stages for clients, Mm -hmm. because where they're at today is like their bare minimum. This is where we're currently choosing to use our money. And then what do we want to grow into or what do we want to create in the next 12 months? And then I like to have the big, big plan. What's your big dream? And put some numbers to it so they can see how that energy of money is more money comes in or is more available. What could we create with it instead of? money's going to come in and we're going to hold on to it really tightly. Cause that's the other piece I'll find black thinking will, will be around people that save a lot, but don't spend right. Mm. Because they don't feel like there's ever going to be enough or they're, they're afraid that it will go away. Some of that comes from our grandparents that were went through the depression. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then just little baby steps of making changes. One of my clients, a lot of, a lot of the women I work with don't pay themselves. They reinvest all their money back into their business. And, and so I encourage them, like one thing is have the business contribute to their lifestyle, actual, actual check, actual paycheck, not just paying for all their continuing education and travel to go do X, Y, Z, or their, their phone or their car, make an actual contribution to their household. That changes a lot of that energy too. Is now the business is like, oh, you want me to support you? Oh, okay. I can do that you got to ask for it and you have to know what that is. So it always starts with knowing what your numbers are first. You got to know where you're at have those money dates, see the black and white of what the numbers are before you can make an actual request to the universe for more or an exact amount. And so you can see also where the the lack is creeping in, in different areas. Yeah. And it's interesting, like this whole notion of us, of women, and I think it's, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's probably 
more women than men who, like you said, won't pay themselves or won't allow themselves to dream about more, like to dream about, you know, because it's like selfish or whatever. So I can want it if it's going to help my family or if it's going to go back into the business, like check mark is good. But if it's like, I just want money so that I can go do whatever makes me happy, that like falls last on the list. Why do you think we do that as women? I think, again, it's, it's look at how we were raised. My mom, it was all about what did the kids need? What did the household need before what she needed? And I never remember seeing her take any personal time, ever travel on her own, ever just buy something that was pleasurable for her. And I watched my friends who had children do similar things. And so I think it's just, it's that we haven't claimed that our pleasure is worthwhile. That even, it can be a small thing. It doesn't have to be this luxurious cashmere sweater, which are wonderful. And we can save up for those things if that's what we desire. But what actually brings us pleasure? And so again, going back to the relationship of money is like, is it okay to say that? having money and allowing money to support me is pleasurable. And I think that's going to trigger a bunch of subconscious beliefs on your listeners. Mm. But that's part of it is that that money again is energy It's helping us to bring more pleasure and love for ourselves into the world as well. But are we willing to receive from money as are we receiving from the world too? That would be another yeah. place to look. Yeah. And when I first understood the concept of money as energy and the fact that, you know, you can't stop the flow of energy. Energy needs to be moving. When it's yep. stopped and when it's stagnant, it's a problem. Right. And so, you know, when you are, you can be giving money out, but you also have to receive. And if you're blocking the receiving part, you're actually blocking the flow of energy. Right. And so that eventually will, you know, <laughs> start impacting your life in other ways. And right. It's like opening yourself up to, you know, I'm allowing just like I would allow love to flow through me as just like a river flows through, like you have to keep it kind of moving. And when I saw it in that context, I was like, oh, okay. So this isn't, you know, me being a martyr and doing a good thing. I'm actually going against like science and nature here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm standing in the way. And that just opened my eyes to receiving in a way that I hadn't really thought about it before. Because I think underneath the receiving part of it, there's like some level of worth, like, you know, and again, as women, we've kind of taught to see our value in like other how we look or what we can do for somebody. Right. And so this whole idea of receiving just because I'm me, right, that I'm a, you know, a powerful business owner is very foreign for most of us. And especially I think for us in our generation. Maybe our daughters will think about it a little bit differently. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully. I that's one thing I love about the younger generation is they are very much more me focused, Mm. me focused first. And uh, I think that's what's so triggering for our generation to hire (laughs) that age is because it's, they're looking at life differently. And I find that very exciting that change can happen, but yeah, it's, I love the receiving part because I remember being in that state about not wanting to receive, you know, are you receiving compliments or are you pushing them away? Are you, you know, being super grateful for gifts or are you, you know, making Mm -hmm. them little? And I don't think we do that enough. We're, we're more than happy to give, 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 but how, where are we receiving? Again, it shows up, like you said, throughout our lives. So guess, because it's energy. So it could be, you could see that same pattern in how we deal with food how we deal with other resources, not Mm. just money. 
Yeah. Yeah. That is so, that is so true. Especially like, yeah, the food thing. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, you know, when you were just talking about, you know, like being grateful for, you know, the things and, you know, like even being grateful for the money that is coming in, even if it's expected, even if it's not exactly what you want, you know, even if you're still growing it is to say, you know, oh, thank you for this money. You know, I'm going to do these amazing things with it, but just really like loving on every part of it. Like, and even if you have debt, loving on your debt. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now debt was something that was created when you were much younger. Before you listened to this podcast, you were much younger and unaware of what you were probably creating. And so there's also forgiveness there, a forgiving mm-hmm. our younger selves for making these choices. Now, a lot of those choices, again, were subconsciously planted by society in our family that debt is just a normal thing. But we were not as aware as we are today or as aware as you're becoming by listening to this podcast. And so, yeah, I had to do a lot of forgiveness for myself for the Mm. debt. And then it's going to be there for a while. So making a repayment plan, it's not going to be instantaneous. We don't lose weight instantaneous, healthy. We don't lose weight (laughs) instantaneously. (laughs) So making a plan around that, but remembering also uh, one key thing you could do with debt is Find the joy that the debt helped you create. Now, that's not always possible, but sometimes people, especially in business, will create debt to uh, for professional development. And so being really grateful that it allowed you to do X, Y, or Z, and maybe even call it, call it that. Yeah. And then that way you're like, oh, I am remembering the good times with what it brought you. But a lot of times debt can be created for medical reasons or other things in our personal lives. But how can we become friends with it? And today, and now that you're aware of it, how can you make a different choice? And one of those ways is if you have a large debt and $100 comes in, you could put $50 towards that debt payment and put $50 into your savings account. That way you're creating wealth and savings and making debt payments. Mm -hmm. And so together, the debt will decrease and your savings will increase. And then that way you'll become less dependent on debt in the future. Yeah. And that's really great because there's so much in the culture that we live in, there's so much shame around debt. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I had a long career in marketing in the credit card business and it would, you know, every time we would do research studies and things like that, listening to people talk about debt, people who we knew were carrying debt on their credit cards and listening to them talk about it were two very different things. And I just remember always feeling like really like sad for the people that, that there was that much shame associated with it. Right. And I too, like I did the same thing. Like I had to go through the process of forgiveness, like you did for, you know, racking up debt as a student. And, you know, even like in the younger years of like my, our family growing and things like that. Right. Like it happens. And, you know, sometimes it, you take out good for good debt for, you know, a reason that's a happy one. Like maybe it's going on a vacation because you really need it. And other times it's something unfortunate. But whichever way it is, being grateful that it allows you to either get out of the unfortunate situation or enjoy the thing, like I think, change changes, like changes how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a book that I recommend is the art of money by Barry Tesler mm. and Barry talks about it in there. What they talked about was taxes. And that's a thing that people hate paying. People just despise it. And Barry tells a story of her and her partner decided to remember what taxes pay for and mm-hmm. that taxes pay. They had the national guard come out and save them during a, a this natural disaster. And so every time they make a tax payment, they remember that. And so again, 
what does it benefit? How does it benefit? How can you change the energy? Because that was the key yeah. word. How you, can you change the energy around it? I try to write thank you on my bill payments. I know we don't write checks very often nowadays, yeah, right. <laughs> but you can put thank you in the online memo too, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you'd like. But you're, you're thanking the bank for the mortgage. You're thanking the utilities for keeping the lights on and the heat available to you. So find some gratitude, do a gratitude practice when it comes to how money's coming out and then you'll be more open to how it's being received. Yeah. So, so true. Like that has been a game changer for me personally. Like, like I said, I did not have the best relationship with money and, you know, I also had shame around debt and like the energy of shame is really heavy. Like it's really, really heavy. And even though, you know, at the beginning, my debt didn't change that much, but how I felt about my debt changed immensely. And it actually, I think, not I think, I know that shift in my energy actually helped me pay it off faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes, again, it's an awareness around it. Are we, are we comfortable on the couch making small payments where it's going to hang over our heads for a long time? Or are we willing to get a part-time job to make that debt go away faster? Or are we willing to give something up today so we can make it go away faster or pay it off faster? And then we can go back to mm-hmm. having a different life. But I really do like the savings and paying debt at the same time. Because putting something in savings while you're still reducing your debt energetically does a a crazy thing as well. The more foundational savings you have, the more confident you are about money and that it's going to continually come in. And you you see more abundance around you as well. And it can start off like my savings in the business was 1% of whatever came in or half a percent of whatever came in was where I had to start. And it wasn't very much. And, but it started to build a foundational savings account for me. So eventually I was like, oh, look, I, I'm, I'm okay. Mm. It's there. So if you have debt, just try to remember to do both at the same time and, and trust. It builds our faith muscle too in that. Yeah, that's another really important point. Trust, yeah. like a huge, huge thing. So when you are talking to women, and I know you specifically focus on being an advocate for women succeeding financially in business. So, you know, a lot of my audience, not all of it, but a lot of my audience are women who are considering, you know, leaving a corporate career and going out on their own or starting a business or like, what are the first steps that you would encourage them to take around their business and money? Like when you're just starting out? Yeah. Well, I would start out at having some idea of what, how you're going to spend the money. Mm-hmm. You know, as I didn't do this when I went to grow my business. And that's how I got into debt is that I had no idea what I was going to need to grow. And so that's why I kept throwing debt at it and savings and whatever thing I had available to me. And so sometimes you're not going to know what all those numbers are, but if you have some idea of what you're able to spend or what you're able to create, then you'll be able to make that choice of like, oh, this thing is outside the original budget. Is it something you can have more awareness around? Is that something that can wait? Or is it something that if I say yes to and I create the debt, what would I need to sell to be able to pay it, pay Mm -hmm. for it in full or off? So knowing the numbers is one of the key things to be aware of. Usually we go in like, this is what we want to sell and here's here's our price point. But we have no idea of what it's going to cost to create that. Regardless of the price point you attach to it, you may or may not make money on it. So starting out with what those costs might look like 
and then being able to evaluate everything you say yes to was how's that going to affect the bottom line just gives you more confidence and awareness around how you're going to fund it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it do cash handling system. So as soon as money comes in, start some money in a savings account and some money in a checking account to make sure that the business starts paying you from day one, not after the first year, not after year five, <laughs> but that you are intentionally choosing how every dollar comes in. Again, that'll create a smaller bucket for your expenses, but you're prioritizing that the business is here to support your life and your household and save for taxes because that's what adulting and sustainable businesses do. Mm-hmm. And then that, again, that, that profit savings or that savings that's going to create a foundational support for the business. And so those, and I use percentages for those. And mm-hmm. I, on my money date, I make those transfers. And it's helped me a lot because before I did those types of things, every money was actually spent before it actually hit my bank account often. But now money comes in, I celebrate it. I get super excited and grateful for it. And then I I give it a job and I transfer Mm. the money to the appropriate accounts. And then I have this smaller bucket for operating accounts. So now I'm aware of what my number is. And if I say yes to this thing, this professional development or whatever, I have to make a decision. Do I have, do I use savings? Do I use what I, do I have extra money or do I use debt? And now I'm making smarter decisions with how I use my debt and a repayment plan right there, not Mm. afterwards. Interesting. And um, what you just said about, I give my money a job. What does that look like? So when I give money a job, I put that like any good team member loves a great job title. So you put that job title everywhere you can see it in your accounting software online. So when you go in to look at the bank, you can see this is my wealth account. This is my owner's pay account on bank statements, on my checkbooks. If I have one, whatever the intention is for that account, I put it everywhere. And sometimes the accounts don't need to be used for that purpose, but I would hold the money in the account because now money is like, oh, my job is for taxes. But say you get to April 15th and you don't need the money for taxes. Well, first off, you you have enough to pay for taxes. That's a lot. That's so grateful. <laughs> yeah. But then the money could possibly be used for something else at that point. But let money do its job. Leave it in the account for that purpose. Like if your household wants to take a vacation, a lot of us are very aware of what a vacation savings account looks like. You create the savings account, you get to plan your vacation and plan it to the budget. If you don't use it all, then you can roll it over to the next year or you can reuse it for something else, some other type of fun family event. That's, that's all it is. And they can be in savings accounts. They should be no cost. Don't let the bank charge you little right. you know, dollars amount on it. Try to get the free savings accounts. And sometimes if you're still healing your relationship with money and you're a spender, you might want those accounts at a different bank just to give you a little barrier between <laughs> the spending. <laughs> right. So there's a few tips on that, but yeah, that's when you give money a job and it really wants to, if you decide after you tell this account you're for taxes and you go and use that money to pay debt, your money's going to go, wait, I thought it was for here. And energetically, it's going to get confused and you'll, you'll see a little bit of shifting going on there. Mm. So again, it's trusting ourselves to keep our intentions of how we want to have a relationship with money. And that's why we give it a job title. 
So I love that. I love that. That's, that's an amazing tip because of what I hear you talking about and kind of coming out and everything that we've been talking about today is this idea of presence and intention mm-hmm. with your money, right? Mm-hmm. Like just being very, because, and that's why it's so important to be aware of kind of what's underlying it. Because often, like if there are underlying triggers or wounds around money, presence and attention is not generally something <laughs> that you will give to that because it's painful. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so digging out or rooting out, you know, all of those beliefs and thoughts around money that you have can allow you to get to that level of presence and intention where you can be like, okay, I'm giving money a job and here's its job. And this is what it looks like. Um, or even just creating the money dates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And w- can we talk a little bit about women in business and why it's so important for women to succeed in business. And I'm raising this point because like I said, a lot of my audience and my clients and people, women that I talk to are, you know, maybe they've been in the corporate world or they've been a stay at home mom and now they're empty nesters or they're on their own or whatever it is. And they have these, like, I would love to be able to do this. I would love to start this charity. I would love to start this business. And then they shy away from it. And I always are kind of directing people back to the bigger purpose for doing this. So it's not just about, so you can make money there when we are empowered enough, like to give ourselves through business or whatever it else that has a change, a ripple effect across our families, across the world and everything. So can you talk to me a little bit about like why you choose to be an advocate for women in business and why it's so important for us to do that? Yeah. Well, that, that I would love to, that is the universe, God, whatever you want to use talking to you. That's Mm -hmm. one of your purposes is to go out and do that. So anything that I would love to, and it's funny is if we don't do that, it's going to pass on and go to somebody else, but that's our opportunity right there. And it's women businesses. It's going to change the world because how we just approach business in general, we approach it from a more holistic point of view. We are approaching it from a viewpoint that it's how is it going to take care of the the world, the community, our family, or whatever our big purposes were, instead of it from a capitalist profit focused, mm-hmm. how much money is coming into my pocket. I'm sure there are women out there that do that, but they're probably not listening to this podcast. Right. <laughs> But we are more, how is this money going to change things? You know, I, I work with a lot of women that are really big on paying their team members livable wage, which is way different uh, than an hourly rate or the minimum rate. Right. I have people that have big culture changes that they're doing around money that's changing, you know, community-wide, how uh, people are accessing uh, resources, money, or different, different topics around that education for one. And I have clients that are looking to make big changes about in their industry, about making sure that it's not just a dollar for hour shift, but that people are getting full-time benefits and those types of things. These are things we consider as women and rather than just looking at the bottom line. And overall, what we're doing is representing a, a much needed paradigm shift that Money can be used for good and positive change in our world. And we're giving it, our businesses are the vehicle to make that change. Whether Mm. we're going to be able to see that change in our lifetime or that we're setting it up for our daughters or our nieces to take over the reins or somebody else in the, in the community, we are the ones who are going to start making that, that change. But again, it's not about being a nonprofit and making no money. It's about making sure 
We're contributing to our households and taking care of ourselves, prioritizing ourselves and using money to make the change, not one or the other. And it would be super exciting for more women to be in business because I think we're just going to exhibit that. I just wish one of my women relatives had been a business owner growing up because that's going to create so much change for our, our younger generation to see that, to see it's possible not just to be stuck in that employee mindset, but that there, there are other options for them out there, depending on what their, their purpose is. Yeah. I, lo- I love that on so many levels. <laughs> I love what you just said. And, you know, I was reading something about Sarah Blakely the other day. So, you know, who Sarah Blakely is the owner of Spanx for those of you who are listening, who grew the business from, you know, with $5,000 in her pocket in her living room to like, a, I think it's a $2 billion company. And, you know, she'd never been in the business world. Like she'd never, she didn't have any contacts. She didn't have any, and she literally followed her dream and her gut instinct all the way. And so the comment that you made about, you know, these dreams that you have are not like random things. It's like you being called forward into that thing. And for us to be able to find the courage and to empower ourselves financially to be able to follow that dream is game-changing on so many levels. Like that's how we're going to see the shift. Yeah. Yeah. Just in our world, just to claim that it's a dream. That's, that's a first step, but to claim it and to tell other people that you're creating your dream. I think that's a big thing. We don't talk enough about what our inner desires and dreams are. And in fact, when we're kids, we're even told uh, there's somebody was saying when you're at a birthday and you go to blow out your candles, everyone's don't tell us your wish. Don't tell it. Keep mm. it, keep it secret or it won't come true. Gosh, how, <laughs> how wrong have we been for years and years? We need to tell our wishes, live our dreams. And I would be super excited to see more people in that, yeah. that frame. Yeah. That is my mission on this planet is because I, first of all, I think women over 50, like all of the knowledge and wisdom and experience we have, like for that to go to waste would, is a crime. And, you know, we can impact like the impact of change, like in the years between 50 and 80, that's 30 years. You can make a lot of change and have a lot of impact in that time window. So for us to be, you know, we live in a culture where 50 is like, okay, you're riding off into the sunset. And I'm like, oh, hell no, you're just starting a new chapter. And in this chapter, like you're free of your family commitments. Maybe you're even free of your relationship, like whatever that looks like, right? But you, this is the time for you to shine. Like this is the time for you to like do what's important to you to follow those dreams and those nudges, right? To leave that legacy or that impact in the world that you so desire. Yes. Um, yes. And so being able to empower women in a business like you do, I think it's an incredible thing. Oh, it's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to talk about, to look at young women, business owners. I think the key though, two thing is, is that business at 50 or 60 or above is going to be very different than it would be at 20 and 30. And I think it also is our role to also show business owners that you can do it at your own pace. You can create a business that works for you in your life. It doesn't have to be so hustle focused, so patriarchal focused. And do it your way. (laughs) Do it your way. And yeah, you're going to need a little education, but go with your gut and do it your way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And don't let people point fingers and tell you that that's not the way to do business. No, let's rewrite what that looks like. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why I'm so inspired by Sarah Blakely's story because, you know, she 
marched into the male in a male dominated industry and didn't take advice from anybody. She just followed her gut. Right. Which is so amazing. Well, thank you for this conversation. This was great. And so where can my listeners find out more about you and your business and maybe like to get more advice from you or to work with you? Where's the best place to find you? The best place is we have a website called moneyactiontips.com and tips with an S.com. And right now there's, it's a choose your own adventure. Um, But if this triggered as an educator, as if this triggered any questions, please do take advantage of the 30 minute conversation that I have available. There's also a free report on the cash handling system that I talked about is I want to make sure all your questions get answered. And so whatever they are, or if you need a resource, just hit me up there. And I'm playing over a little bit on Instagram at Connie.VanderZanden and over on LinkedIn. Oh, perfect. Excellent. Okay. We'll make sure that all of that gets into the show notes. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. I personally am taking away a couple little tips from this <laughs> for my own money relationships. So again, listeners, if you have questions around money or you know, you're considering starting a business or you're in the early stages of your business, or even if you're you know, experienced business owner. Hope you found some tips here that were useful for you. And please feel free to reach out to Connie for more information. Until next time, everybody. Thank you, Connie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.